When you think of a mission, what do you think of? Saying a mission, you might think of the Mormons who send their college-aged students on a mission for two years to spread their gospel. On Independence Day weekend, you may think of the military implications of a mission. Maybe you're a science-minded person who, when I say mission, you think of Gemini, Magellan, Apollo, or space shuttle missions. Or maybe you're of the right age and just irreverent enough to think of Jake and Elwood Blues who were on a mission from God. Most important things in life, most important things in the world, most things that have happened that have mattered have have happened because in one way or another someone was on a mission. They had a deep desire, a goal that drove them to do what it is that they felt inside of them that they must do. They were on a mission. Now one question we face as individual Christians gathered today in in the freedom that we have, and another question that we face as a church is, do we have a mission? Are we on a mission? What is our mission? What's driving us? Or is mission just something we send teenagers to do in Kentucky? In today's Gospel reading, Jesus sends 70 disciples out on a mission. They were sent to the harvest. They were sent to share the Word of God and to see God's work, God's presence alive in the world. They made an impact, and they made their impact in three steps. They were prepared, they engaged, and then they reflected upon what happened. When we do this, amazing things can happen. As your pastor, I believe God has a word for us. I believe God has a mission for us as a church. I believe God has a mission for you as an individual. And I pray that as we discern our missions, we will prepare We will need to prepare. We will engage. And then I trust following faithful engagement, we will reflect. And in doing so, we will reflect and be like those early Christians in the book of Acts who repeatedly said, we cannot help but speak about the things that we have seen God do. Preparation, engagement, and reflection. In service to God, these are three very important practices. May we see how they are at play today as we turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, and then 16 through 20. After these things, the Lord commissioned 72 others, and he sent them on ahead in pairs to every city and every place he was about to go. He said to them, The harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few workers. Therefore plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for the harvest. Go, be warned though, that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Carry no wallet, no bag, no sandals. Don't even greet anyone along the way. Whenever you enter a house, first say, May peace be on this house. And if anyone shares God's peace, then your peace will rest on that person. 
If not, your blessing will return to you. Remain in the house, eating and drinking, whatever they set before you, for workers deserve their pay. Do not move from house to house. Whenever you enter a city and its people welcome you, eat what they set before you. Heal the sick who are there. Say to them, God's kingdom has come upon you. Whenever you enter a city and people do not welcome you, go out into the streets and say, as a complaint against you, we brush off the dust of your city that is collected on our feet. But you, but know this, God's kingdom has come to you. In verse 16, Jesus says, Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. Whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 72 then returned with joyous saying, Lord, even the demons submit themselves to us in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority to crush snakes and scorpions underfoot. I have given you authority over all power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice because of the spirit submit do not rejoice because the spirits submit to you. Rejoice instead that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This particular weekend, as we've donned ourselves, donned ourselves in red, white, and blue, as we were able, as our wardrobes afforded us, it's impossible not to think and to reflect on the history of this nation that we live in. A nation that was birthed out of rebellion from England. A nation that has been led by many wonderful people. A nation that has not been perfect, but has worked hard and been given opportunities to provide things that were better than other places could have provided for other people. And a nation that, in service to ourselves, has realized that we are at our best when we are also serving one another. Few groups have managed to maintain the balance of serving themselves in service to another better than those who are of America's greatest generation. Now when I say the the greatest generation, most of us know what I mean. But in case you don't understand the reference, the greatest generation is a term made popular by uh, broadcaster, journalist, Tom Brokaw. He described the generation who grew up in the United States during the Depression and then went off to fight in World War II as well as those who worked productively at home during World War II. He called them the greatest generation that society has ever produced because of their ability to do for a nation and for the world things that no one else had ever been able to do. I suppose we could argue about whether the seminal, most formative events of the greatest generation were the Depression or World War II. But I've been thinking about World War II this this week because almost every American during World War II engaged in some way in service to their country. And then, in the generations that followed, the greatest generation, 
There was a generation who engaged in Korea. And then many baby boomers engaged in Vietnam. Each of these generations had their generation marked by military service. And while military engagement is not something we dwell on much in worship, for those generations, their work, their mission was driven in service to another. And their mission required them to prepare, to engage, and then to reflect. Now, in military service, preparation is simple. You go to boot camp. And anybody who's been through boot camp can tell you where they did their basic training and when, right? From basic training, following basic training, those who make the cut begin a period of engagement. Some were sent to boats, others to bases. Some put on the front lines, and others were stuck in areas surrounding the conflict, supporting a conflict. But all who were prepared engaged in some way. And then when the conflict is over, the final piece, the most important piece, is reflection. What happened? What did we do well, and what do we need to do differently? Reflection is a time when we think about the significance of what happened. And for each generation that I listed above, the the greatest generation, the boomers, those in between, this threefold pattern shaped the way that they lived as citizens of the United States. Now the saying goes, those who don't know history are bound to repeat it, which is why reflection is so important. Reflection helps drive things forward because we don't want to do what it was we did last time. We don't want to make the same mistakes we did before. And I believe in many ways, this greatest generation that I started talking about, one of their strengths was reflecting well. And the fact that they engaged and then reflected well led to such amazing things that we have seen in our lifetimes. They've achieved things that we never thought were possible, like the fall of the Berlin Wall, the rise of Soviet, formerly oppressed Soviet states, great advances in technology beyond what anyone could have imagined, and, and they laid the groundwork for the most productive as well as comfortable and free human society that has ever, ever happened. They have made, their life made this country matter. And the mission of the United States of America has mattered in many, many ways for people all around the world. It has been a gift to us. But as important and as valuable as that mission has been, even on Fourth of July weekend, we gather in a sanctuary knowing that the call of God is even a little bit more important than that. Our citizenship as, 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 as people who are a part of the kingdom of God is our greatest calling. Our highest calling and our highest mission comes from the missions that God calls us to. And as we look to Luke 10, we see Jesus put his disciples on a mission. And what he does is he prepares them. He sends them out to engage 
And then they come back and they reflect and they celebrate on what it is that they had experienced. Which will beg three questions from us. Are we preparing for something or have we prepared for something? What are we engaging in? And how have we reflected upon what it is that God has carried us through? Now, Luke's passage couldn't actually be any different than preparing in boot camp. For when you prepare in basic training for military service, you prepare to put things on. In the elevator in the hospital the other day, a person asked the police officer that was there, how much extra stuff are you carrying around? And he said, well, between all of this, it's about 25 pounds. Jesus, in Luke 10, I don't know if you remember, but did the exact opposite in preparing his disciples. He doesn't tell them what to carry with them. He tells them not to carry things with them. He tells them how to conduct themselves and how to be at peace when they're on this mission. He instructs themselves, instructs them to be stripped down to the basic essence of faith. Their preparation was to be prepared to experience the presence and the essence of God as they were out engaged in their mission. In a commentary I read uh, this week, a former professor of mine, as it happens, wrote, rather than equipping disciples for a holy war against infidels, Jesus de-equipped them of the requisite travel paraphernalia. Don't carry a wallet or a travel bag or sandals. Greet no one on the way. The absence of standard traveling equipment indicates a total dependence upon the sender. The instruction to greet no one is a time-saving measure that underscores the urgency of the mission. Be single-minded in purpose and do not be distracted. Jesus didn't tell them to gird up their loins. He prepared them to go on mission by paying attention to God. Jesus didn't have them put on the full armor of God to go into battle. He stripped them down so that they could simply rely. For the disciples and for the faithful, preparation requires getting to just what is necessary. Which in the case of being in service to God means... Take everything else away that keeps you from relying on God. Now, once one is prepared to engage, you must go. You go. He sent them out. And with 72 disciples being sent out across the land, I suppose there was not enough space in Scripture for us to hear all of the stories. And you know, when you talk to someone who's engaged on a mission, they sometimes can't remember all of the details of what it is that had happened, and sometimes that's for better. But there was plenty of time spent investing and preparing, and then there's time spent reacting. And while it would have been nice for the Gospel writer to chronicle all of these stories of being welcomed and shaking off dust from their feet, the reflection that we see in verses 16 through 20 is what's most important. They reflect, as we read, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submitted to us. 
And Jesus says, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I've given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nonetheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you have engaged in a mission and expanded the work of God. The 70 disciples returned, speaking of amazing things that they had experienced. They had prepared, they engaged, fully relying upon God, and when they returned, they reflected on what they had seen, and it was amazing. They truly saw the power of God at work in the world, and seeing God at work was the best thing of all for them. And this story, I believe, is is exactly what we need to hear in our lives as well. In your life and in mine, I truly believe God has called each of us to something. God has called us to to ministry, to service. God has called us all to love. And to a mission of sharing His love with others who very much need it. And God has created and gifted each one of us individually in unique and powerful ways to do that work in a way that no one else can. And discovering that and preparing for it and engaging in it is what the Christian life, I believe, is all about. God has a way for each one of us to engage in mission in the world. And it's our responsibility, it's our freedom, it's our opportunity to discern that call, prepare for it, and engage in it. And then when periods of engagement are over, We reflect. And boy, it's unusual to find a reflection that sounds anything different than the one that they found at the end of Luke 11. Being amazed at all that God has done. As citizens of the United States, we prepare, we engage, and we reflect as we serve one another as citizens. But in service to God, we have the opportunity to do it for the sake of God and for the sake of the gospel. And so in this place of worship, in this country in which we live, we're free to explore our service to God. And in service to God, how are each of us? How are you? How am I? Preparing for God's work. How are we engaging in God's work? And are we reflecting upon what God has done for us, with us, to us and through us. The Christian life, the freedom that comes from God and the reality of the work of God in this world is not just so that we can have an eternal assurance, though we should celebrate for our names are written in the book above. But they're here so that others can have that as well. And others need to hear us. They need to experience the mission God has created for us. The Christian life is one of mission and service that sends us out, calls us to reach our neighbor, sometimes people we don't even like, and encourages us to be on the lookout for the direction that God is leading us. And so how are you doing with that? How are we doing with that? And if you hear a call from God, what will you do about that? In your life today, you have a mission. 
Maybe it's for something you want or need. And maybe like Jake and Elwood, hopefully in a less comedic way, you are on a mission from God. And in service to God, the best way to understand where you are and the best way to to follow out God's call is to prepare to engage and then to reflect. So today, what are you preparing for? How are you engaged? And what has God done that you need to reflect upon? God has gifted you uniquely and specially for a mission that he has for you. Listen to how God is leading you to be in service to him today for the sake of his kingdom and for the sake of all of his people throughout the world. Shall we pray? Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for the call that you place upon each one of us, a call that helps us to experience your love well, to share your love uniquely and powerfully, and to experience your love greatly throughout this world. Lord, though we are so thankful for the freedom and the service, the freedom that we have because of this place that we live, and though we are enamored and overwhelmed by the service that many are able to give, help us never to forget and never to fail to discern the service that we're called to in serving you. Help us to experience your love and grace in service to your kingdom today. And lead us as we respond in the moments ahead. It's in your name, O Lord, that we pray.